man, I'm so glad to see all of your friendly faces. We're packed out in here. That's awesome, man. We got a ton of kids over there right now. They're doing Easter egg hunts, and there is actually um, a lamb over there. I don't know what's all going on, but it's going to be um, fantastic what happened over there. My name's Clayton. I'm the pastor here at Central, and I just want to say a special welcome to all of our first time, second time, third time guests. We're glad you guys are with us today. We're going to be in Luke chapter... Um, Remember, uh, Luke chapter 23, just make sure I remember that. Luke chapter 23, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and you can, uh, you can see um, everything, everywhere we're going to be um, this morning. If you'd like to follow along with today's message, uh, you can scan the QR code. It's on the screens everywhere, and it'll take you right to an app or a website where you can follow along with uh, the message and fill in the blanks and all of that uh, good stuff. Well, I just wanted to start off and ask you this question, why are you here? Why are you here? And I think it's a question we always have to ask when we come to church, but especially for Easter Sunday, why are you here? For some of us, man, this may be just a traditional thing that you come every Easter to church. Wherever you find yourself, you come to, to church on Easter. Maybe this is just a, something, another week that you always have where you come to church. You, have, you haven't missed a day in years of coming to church. For some of you, you may have been drugged here by your parents. I mean, my kids sometimes are like that. I'm like, sorry, you're the pastor's kid. You got to come to church. So let's go. And so they come to church. Maybe that's how you have found yourself here today. Maybe someone invited you to come. Maybe you're looking for a place to call home. I don't know why you're here, but God has a purpose for you to be here. But I was thinking about this. Why do we celebrate Easter? I'm not talking about the Jesus aspect of Easter, but why do we celebrate Easter the way that we celebrate Easter? Why do we have a bunny and Easter eggs? Like, where in the world did that come from? And I was thinking about this, and I found out some information. I think it's pretty good for us to understand today of some of the origins of the Easter celebration. And one of the things that we do traditionally is we have an animal. And so in America, we have the Easter bunny. But I want to show you some other things here on the screen, some other animals that the rest of the world uses to celebrate Easter. Did you know in Germany, they use a fox to, to hide Easter eggs? That is like their animal that they use for the Easter celebration. Kind of makes sense. You know, a fox might is uh, getting Easter eggs and passing them out or whatever. In Australia, they have this thing called the bilby. Okay, it looks like a rat and a bunny mixed together. I don't know um, where, where that's coming from. But in Australia, they got some weird animals there. And so that's what they use uh, for the Easter celebration. In Switzerland, they use a cuckoo bird, which actually probably makes the most sense out of everything because, you know, the egg and the bird it kind of just, just makes sense, right? And for some reason in America, we have the Easter bunny. I don't get it. I'm not really sure. But that is our traditional animal. Not only do we have traditional animals, but we pass out eggs. And we have uh, a bunny that goes and hides Easter eggs. And we have a basket and they, they run around and the kids have a great time, you know, looking for the Easter eggs. You can, you've probably already done this this week. A lot of kids are doing it right now. And you can remember back when you were little of probably going and finding all the Easter eggs at your grandparents' house or in your own backyard or wherever you found yourself. We have a tradition of searching and finding Easter eggs. But some Easter eggs are better than others, am I right? So I've made a, a list. This is my own personal one. And I'm, I'm the one that has the microphone, so you can get mad at me, but whatever. I've got my own list, okay, of the best Easter egg 
uh, candy and the worst, okay? And so let me show you the worst Easter egg candy according to me, okay? So one of them are these, these peeps. You know what I'm talking about? These are awful, okay? I mean, they're just, they're just, they're just throw, they're straight up throwaways, okay? You can just throw them away. Um, they're just, they're literally just sugar and air and they're disgusting, whatever. Okay, thank you, appreciate that. Okay, so the other one is this Cadbury cream eggs. Everybody had one of these? You open it up, you're like, man, this is, just solid, look, good-looking chocolate. And then you take a bite, and it's like you ate a literal raw egg, and it just, like, oozes everywhere. It's disgusting. <laughs> Terrible. I don't know why they have those. And, guys, candy corn is for Halloween, okay, not for Easter. And for some reason, these manufacturers, they just change the dye um, in the, the candy, and they, they come up with the Easter candy corn. But this might be the worst one. I just can't get over eating a cross with Jesus on it. That's just kind of weird to me. But sometimes you'll get the, the cross, uh, the chocolate cross. Um, and I, yeah, I just can't, can't do that. Those are probably the worst ones um, for me personally when I get those in the Easter eggs. But here are the best ones, again, according to myself. Okay, so <laughs> the, the Whopper Robin eggs. I love these, okay? I don't care if you don't like them. My staff got mad at me about this selection, but whatever, okay? So I, I really love uh, these Whopper um, Robin eggs because it looks like a real egg, okay? But these, man, these might be the best. It doesn't matter how they form the Reese's peanut butter cup. They can do whatever they want, and we're going to eat those. And so they do them as, as an egg. Those are fantastic. These are a classic right here, just the, the chocolate bunny because they're kind of fun, and you get to decide which part of the bunny you want to eat first, you know? And how many guys go for the ears first? Anybody? Okay, a lot of us go for the ears first, okay? You go for the face, you've got some problems, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but the best is money, you know what I'm saying? If you grab an Easter egg out of the grass, and it's got some weight to it, and you shake it a little bit, and you hear all those coins, you just hide those from your parents, okay? Because here's what happens. Easter, and Easter, during Easter, it's fun, you know, and it's just fun and games. And most parents, 9 out of 10 parents, will fill Easter egg baskets or hide them for their, their uh, family and their kids. But 9 out of 10 parents will also steal the candy from some of those eggs. Anybody ever done that? Do it every single year because they don't need all that candy, and I need to make sure it's safe for them. You know what I'm saying? So, man, Easter is fun. We have a, a lot of fun. And I just want to give a shout-out to all of our, our guests that are here with us this morning. I don't know where you um, find yourself, but you're here for some reason. I don't know if you're a first-time and a long-time kind of person, but God has a special purpose for you being here today. And I, I, I pray that he speaks to you, not, not through me. I'm just a guy. But I pray that he speaks to you through the Bible this morning. I also want to give a shout out to all of our church members, man. All the things that have happened, on, happened today, in fact, the last couple years with COVID and all the, the changes that have, have come about. I mean, man, I love changing things, okay? It's like one of my spiritual gifts, I guess, or whatever. So, but man, we, we change stuff all the time, and we're trying to form ourselves into a church um, that can really reach our community and be the church that God has called us to be. And I just wanted to say thank you to our church members who have made this day possible, and actually every day, every Sunday possible. You guys are rock stars. I love you. I'm so glad that we're doing this together. I'm glad that you guys are here with us today. You know, Easter has a, a real reason um, for it. There's a real purpose for us to come together for Easter, and it's for guys to wear pink. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? <laughs> 
Okay, get to do it once a year. Okay, wear pink. There we go. Thank you. I appreciate it. One lady um, in, in our, our church in between services, she may actually be in here. She called me pretty. Okay, and I like that. Okay, I will take it. I think she's sitting right back in the back. Okay, I love it. Uh, call me pretty. Thank you very much. But you know what? The, the origins of Easter go all the way back. And we know the story, if we're in this room probably, that Easter had a, a turbulent and life-changing and gut-wrenching moment in history. And today I want to kind of talk about that. In fact, it all started on a Friday. So on Friday, Jesus was arrested. He was put through this mock trial. The people screamed, crucify him. And he was hung up on a cross to die. And there were people there with him. There was a big crowd, and some of Jesus' followers were there. You had the Romans. You had the, the, the Jewish leaders were all there to witness the crucifixion of Jesus. You had, you had a criminal on either side of him. And you guys can probably imagine the agony that was going through, going through not just Jesus but his followers as well. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, the Bible says that Jesus was hung up on a cross and the story continues in Luke chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we'll start in this verse in Luke chapter 23. Verse 44. Here's what it says. You have to go back some. There we go. It says, by this time it was about noon. So Jesus is on the cross about three hours. Can you imagine being on the cross for three hours? And something happened at noon. And darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. So for three hours, it was completely dark. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And Jesus died. The Messiah had died. And his followers, honestly, were overwhelmed with grief and concern. They didn't know what to do next. What happened is most of them scattered. But some of them took Jesus down off the cross and prepared him to be buried. And they took his body to a tomb. Now, you can't think of it as like a, a place that we go in, in, in like a, a graveside of modern-day America. But back then, they had... These, these garden areas that they would, they would create tombs out of. And he had, he had rock sides to it, and the rock was soft enough where you could actually hand carve out these caves. And you know, you roll a stone in front of it. And it was only for the rich people. Rich people could pay for that to happen. Poor people were pretty, pretty much put in mass graves back then. And so Jesus' Jesus' body was put into a, a grave like that, into a tomb. And some of his followers were there. To witness it. Look what the Bible says in the next couple of verses. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. So some of his, his women disciples, okay? Female disciples. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. So this was Friday. Let me kind of explain this. Did you know that a couple days ago, the sun went down in Jerusalem at 7.07 p.m. I looked it up, okay? I wasn't there, but I looked it up, okay? Um, 7.07, the sun went down. That's a very um, important time on Friday evenings because in Jewish times, and even in fact today in Jewish culture, 
Sabbath didn't start when you woke up on Saturday. Sabbath actually starts Friday evening when the sun goes down. And so the disciples were in a hurry. The followers were in a hurry to try to prepare his body before the sun went down. Because when the Sabbath happened, you couldn't work. You couldn't do all these things. all these Old Testament rules and regulations that you had to follow. And so, so they, were, they were hurrying as fast as they could, but they couldn't get his body completely prepared. So the Bible says these women, they repaired the spices, but then the sun went down. So we find ourselves going into the, the Sabbath, the Saturday for the Jewish people. And here's what happened on Saturday. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The Bible doesn't talk about Saturday at all. I think it's pretty profound because, man, that, that day was rough. That day was horrible. The disciples were, they actually did nothing because they were full of grief and concern. They were full of dread. They didn't, they didn't know what the future held for them. They didn't know if they were supposed to go back to their old jobs. Everything they were hoping for just completely fell apart. You know, one of the fi- defining moments and principles of Christianity is that Jesus provides hope. That's what he gives us. He gives us hope. But at this point in the story, all hope was lost. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like... Just your situation in life was hopeless. Like if, you're, if your monetary output is higher than your monetary input, what does that do to you? It makes you concerned, doesn't it? You kind of lose hope for that, that thing that you're, you're, you're using money to try to prop up your life. And you kind of lose hope a little bit. Or what about in a relationship that begins to fall apart? It hasn't completely fallen apart yet, but you can sense it. You know that it's coming. You know that that relationship has an expiration date. And all your hope in that relationship begins to just dissolve and fall away. Or for a lot of you men in this room who find their identity in their their job, in their career. You know how it is when you go to a party or somewhere and you're talking to someone. What is the first thing you say? Hell, so what kind of business are you in? You know, that's what we do, right? We do that because that's where we find our identity. But what happens when that promotion goes away or you lose that job? And you kind of find yourself just floating out there and you're, you're without hope. And life will do that sometimes to you when things are out of your control and you don't have anything to grab onto. How many of you guys like roller coasters? I love roller coasters, man. I'm a Texas dude, and so we have the Texas Giant and Six Flags and Fort Worth, and man, that's a scary roller coaster. That's, that's crazy. But I remember when I was a teenager going and, and getting on that roller coaster, and I'm walking through the line down below it, and you look up, and it's this giant wooden structure, and you're hoping like the bolts are tight, you know, and uh, the roller coaster goes past you, and the whole thing just shakes like this. You're like, uh, well, if they survive, I guess I'll, I'll try. And I can't be the scared one that gets out. But So you go and, and you, you get on the roller coaster. And for the crazy people, what do you do? You hold your hands up the whole time. You know, you say, hey, I'm not scared of nothing. You know, I, I can handle this. And so you hold your hands up the whole time until they go and take that picture in the scary part, you know. And you go afterwards and you look at it. You're like, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm not going to buy that picture at all. It looked terrible. Um, but what do people do who are scared? You hold on to something. You either hold on to the bar in front of you, the person next to you, or if they have the straps, you hold on to the straps because that's, that's, your, that's your last bit of safety and security. Imagine what the disciples were going through. They had nothing to hold on to. They were scared. They were without hope. 
But the great part of this story is things that we've sung about today is that hope came back on Sunday, didn't it? Hope came back on Sunday. How many of you guys have ever been disappointed with your Easter egg collection on a Sunday or on, a, on an Easter egg hunt? You know, you get that basket and you're just like, hmm. Or you begin to open them up and it's like plastic toys. Like, who wants that? You know, you want, you want the candy. You want the good stuff. That's what was happening to these, these ladies in the story that we just read. You know that on, on Friday before the sun went down, they got a basket and they began to put spices and ointments in it so that they could actually prepare Jesus' body. And it was sad because they were preparing their Messiah who was dead. That was a, that was a terrible way to have a, the first Easter basket, I guess you could say. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus brings back hope in our lives. Look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. They were taking the spices they prepared, the ones we just talked about. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. This underlined portion is perhaps the most amazing part of Scripture. An angel gets to proclaim that. All hope was lost. But we get to celebrate Easter because if you're writing anything down, you can write this. We celebrate Easter because Easter is, is hope found. They found hope. They went not searching for hope because hope was lost, and they found it. And here's my question for you again. Why are you here? Why are you here? What are you searching for? I think in this life we search after so many things that we think will bring us security and comfort and protection and even purpose. Yet all those things are like being on a roller coaster and you realize you have no seatbelt on. Yet Jesus offers something different. Easter offers something different. That he, Easter offers hope. And the angel, they asked the same thing. Why are you here? They didn't ask it to us, but they asked it to the ladies. Look what, look what they said. They said, remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man, he must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Don't you, don't you remember that? In fact, Jesus actually talked about it in Luke chapter 9. They said, don't you remember when Jesus told you this? Here's what he said. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be killed but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus said to the disciples, and they had no idea what he was talking about. They were so confused about that statement. And the, the angel's like, don't you remember what Jesus said? He had promised them hope. He had promised them hope, and he came back. Now, that's some power. To have the ability to rise from the grave. And every single Easter, God speaks into our lives, and he says, I can move mountains in your life. I can roll stones away in your life. 
I can change the things in your life that you think can never be changed or fixed. God, when he raises Jesus from the grave, he says, I can take care of every single thing in your life. And from the moment that Jesus rose from the grave, nothing has ever been the same, has it? History is split in that moment when Jesus rose from the grave. And that's why Easter reminds us of something. It reminds us that Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. In fact, our, our vision of our church is for us to be a church where Jesus changes everything. That's a profound statement where we hope that Jesus would change our hearts. He would change our actions. He would change our outlook and how we, we do ministry. We believe that Jesus wants to change your life as well. He can change everything. The gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus it's, it's a de- declaration of that, that Jesus changes everything. I believe it's true. I believe that it is the defining statement of our lives. It is a profound and weighty statement that Jesus changes everything. So this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to let the resurrection story, the story we've been singing about, the story we've been reading, I want to let that story shout to us how Jesus changes everything. So I want to use this statement and just talk about each of these, these words. And first, we're going to talk about, about Jesus. Jesus, the one who rose from the grave, is way more, he is way more than, than just a good guy. He's way more than just a religious figure. He's way more than even just a prophet. The Bible says that he is something entirely different. Look what John chapter 1 has to say. John chapter 1 says, so the word, he's talking about Jesus, he became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of, get this, this is what Jesus is called, glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, this is way different than our relationship if, if, if you're a father in this room or if you're a son in this room. Because we think about, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a son to my father and I have a son that, that carries on after me. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about, about Jesus being the son of God. What it's talking about in Jewish culture is that, that he is co-equal with the father. He's not less. He's not more. He's perfectly equal with the father. And that's what the Bible declares about Jesus. Look at, at 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says this about Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, and it is Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus, calls him God and mediator between the Father and us. And Isaiah 9, 6 says this, that he, Jesus, the Messiah to come, this was 700 years before Jesus came, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. That's what the Bible declares about Jesus. The one who died on the cross has the power to raise from the dead. And that is an amazing truth that we need to understand this morning. But Jesus did those things. He rose from the grave for a purpose. And the purpose is is to change things in our lives. That's what he does. Jesus, he changes things because something needs to, be, needs to change in every single one of our lives. From the time we were really little to today, you and I have a, a sin problem. We've got a sin problem. And if you think that you're without sin, be warned. Look what the Bible says. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. 
and not living in the truth. Can't hide from it. Your sin is wrong. My sin is wrong. And what it does is it destroys a relationship. It severs a relationship between us and a holy God. And it condemns us to an eternity without him, separated from him. Look at Isaiah 59 says. This is, this is not a verse you want to, like, tattoo on your arm, okay? Or have on a coffee mug. If you're, it is your sins that have cut you off from God. <laughs> I don't like that. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Man, that is, that's a tough verse. And what the Bible is saying here is that 